Access Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by What It Takes, Lessons in the Pursuit of Excellence, the New York Times bestselling book by Blackstone Stephen Schwartzman. I'm Dan Mack. On today's show, the world's first infodemic and how tech hurdles could trip up this year's census. But first, a focus on fracking. So we are just days away from Super Tuesday, in which millions of Americans will vote for who they want to be the Democrat to take on President Trump in November. And conventional wisdom right now is that Bernie Sanders will solidify his frontrunner status. But one issue that hasn't really come up during any of the Democratic debates is fracking, the controversial oil and gas extraction technique that Sanders has pledged to end if elected. And that matters particularly in swing states like Pennsylvania, where fracking has helped lead to a jobs boom, and nationwide, where it's helped reduce America's economic and security reliance on foreign oil. So Sanders's policy is a full fracking ban on both public and private lands, arguing that the practice is inherently unsafe, particularly to drinking supplies. He doesn't want to do this via executive order on day one, like Elizabeth Warren has proposed, but it is still high up on his environmental to-do list. So three questions. First, how will this play politically? There have been some local moratoriums on fracking in places like Colorado and Pennsylvania, so political plus. But again, the jobs, political minus. Number two, how will this play economically? If fracking were banned, even gradually, would it become an economic anvil, not only because of the lost employment, but also the likely higher oil prices? And number three, are both of those things secondary concerns? Because remember, drinking water. We all need that and we need it to be clean. So we'll dig into all three of those in 20 seconds with Axios Energy reporter Ben Geeman. But first, this. In the New York Times bestselling book, What It Takes, Lessons in the Pursuit of Excellence, Blackstone's Stephen Schwartzman shares some of his lessons from creating and building one of the world's leading investment firms. Recommended by Jack Welch, Janet Yellen, Ray Dalio, and more. Get the book on Amazon or at readwhatittakes.com. We're joined now by Axios Energy reporter Ben Geeman. So, Ben, let's start with the big picture here. You had a story talking about how a report from Kaiser Family Foundation and Cook Political surveyed voters in states like Pennsylvania and Michigan, and a majority of swing voters support the Green New Deal. 92% of Democrats support it. But having a fracking ban is not supported by a majority. How do these voters reconcile those two things? Yeah, that's a really good question. There is perhaps some dissonance there. And I think the state to look most carefully at among the states that they polled is Pennsylvania, because that's, of course, an incredibly populous state. So it's very important in the general election. It is also a swing state. And it is kind of, I believe it's the either first or second largest natural gas producing state. It's kind of right up there with Texas. And so natural gas extraction and production and drilling is a huge thing there. And so, of course, a very important question is, if Bernie Sanders were to be the nominee, would that create some political jeopardy for him in a general election matchup against Trump, who, of course, carried the state four years ago, and it's a, set to be an important battleground yet again? Pennsylvania, as you say, is, is an important state. Bernie Sanders probably can't win the presidency without Pennsylvania. And the true may be true of Trump as well. Is fracking, from your perspective, a big enough issue there, viewed as a big enough issue there, that it could actually turn the state? Because it, it was a pretty narrow number in 2016, and you do have certain local communities in Pennsylvania that have put moratoriums on fracking. Yeah, I think it's kind of the question is, is in part related to whether or not Sanders' sort of theory of the case for his viability in a general election is, is accurate or not. Because certainly if the goal is to attract more moderate voters, as that polling showed, then calling for a ban on fracking, which he has done, could really become something of a drag on him. On the other hand, you noted the popularity of the Green New Deal. And more broadly, the sort of concept behind the Sanders candidacy is that 
he's got these kind of big, gigantic, sweeping, exciting policy ideas that will bring new voters to the polls and juice turnout. So I think it kind of rests on whether or not, as I said, the kind of Sanders model uh, can be effective. You know, there's something of an irony in all of this, too, which is that, you know, realistically, calls to completely ban hydraulic fracturing would go nowhere in Congress. There's simply no chance that would happen. What a president could do under her or his executive powers would be to greatly restrict the practice on federal land, the stuff that's most directly under the sway of an administration. However, if you look at where the fracking boom has really happened over the past decade, and now we're talking about both oil and natural gas, going back even further than a decade to natural gas, it's largely been concentrated on areas of private and state lands in Texas and North Dakota and Pennsylvania and other states. So, So one kind of big question here is if there is political jeopardy in calling for a fracking ban, whether it's kind of worth it, because, as I just mentioned a moment ago, a president could realistically do far less to restrict the practice on areas outside of direct federal control. Do you think that's maybe one of the reasons why, even though we hear Green New Deal a lot, we hear clean environment a lot, we hear Paris Climate Agreement a lot from the Democratic candidates during debates and on the stump, we don't hear that much talk about fracking from them, even though it is a core part of their climate plans. When you look at the questions in the debates, I think we've had, gosh, what, nine, ten debates so far. There's been a few questions about fracking, and in fact, you had one in that debate in Las Vegas where you saw a real split between Sanders and more moderate rivals. The questions in the debates have largely been on more kind of broader environmental and climate topics as opposed to oil and gas policy specifically, although the topic has come up a couple of times. Give me a kind of a bigger picture thing. Let's assume for a minute somehow that Bernie got elected and somehow Congress did go along with this, a ban not only on public lands, but on private lands as well. What would be the kind of energy market repercussions that outside of obviously certain companies no longer existing is simple really as oil prices would go way up? Certainly there would be a very large hit to U.S. production. Now, the Sanders legislation, again, we're talking about hypothetical here because uh, I don't think it would go very far on Capitol Hill, but the Sanders legislation calls for a kind of multi-year phase-in. A phase-in, right. Yeah, certainly you would have a very immediate effect on U.S. production. It would affect different companies differently. Some companies have a great deal of exposure on federal land. Others have their operations much more concentrated elsewhere. But certainly I think you would see a fairly important and upward price effect, both because of the production that would begin to be lost in the near future, but also more broadly because of the kind of market signal it sends about the future of U.S. policy. I mean, obviously, you know, the U.S. is essentially a petro-state at this point. On the political will of that, you know, you would normally think, okay, you know, representatives, House members in Texas would obviously vote against because, you know, there's a lot of fracking there. But as you say, there's also a lot of oil money there, and that sugar hide, those oil companies want that sugar hide. They're, they're kind of desperate for it at this point. Yeah, perhaps they are, although I think that they're, I don't think the way that they would want to get that high would be by, you know, curtailing their medium and long-term future and ability to operate at all in the in the U.S. So I think that would be a high that they would, whether or not they enjoyed it in the moment, they would not be very happy with the cause of it. And then certainly I think it's a safe bet to say that the industry is going to vote with its dollars in a sense and not support a Democrat who, probably not support a Democrat at all, but certainly not support someone who is going to take such an aggressive posture toward their industry. And look, Sanders doesn't just want to ban fracking, but he's talked about prosecuting oil companies for one reason or another. So certainly I don't think that the oil industry is Sanders curious in any sense. Now, you know, other Democrats, while they all have very kind of aggressive and sweeping oil, energy and climate change plans, Joe Biden, who I think at this point is the biggest rival for, for Sanders for the nomination, would not carry forth such an outright restriction on fracking, although his plans, too, also do call for, you know, movement away from fossil fuels over the medium and long term. Final question for you. Let's talk about the actual issue here. You know, this isn't Bernie Sanders not liking oil companies in general, even though he doesn't. This is an environmental concern and a safety concern, and particularly a drinking water concern. How valid from your perspective are the criticisms that hydraulic fracking by its nature is inherently unsafe? 
there have certainly been isolated cases and cases in which the near-term and sort of acute environmental effects of fracking in oil and gas extraction and production more broadly are very real. I think that the reason that this topic, though, is getting a great deal of attention in this cycle is more because it's so intertwined with climate change and global warming, right? One of the things that you hear a lot about is the fact that natural gas, which is long considered to be a more environmentally friendly alternative to coal, and that's for a very good reason. When you burn it, it produces much less kind of traditional pollution and much less carbon. But one of the reasons that opponents of natural gas are against it is because, one, the need to get off fossil fuels more quickly if we want very, very steep emissions cuts. And two, the fact that there is this release of methane, both at oil and gas production sites and also sort of down the distribution chain, and that's a very potent planet warming gas. It's emitted in, it's not as emitted in the same quantities as CO2, which is the most important planet warmer. But that said, it does have this kind of sort of packs a lot of punch. So, you know, for those reasons, I think that there are very real reasons to be concerned about oil and gas extraction from both kind of an acute environmental standpoint and climate change reasons. Put you on the spot. Final thing, quick yes or no. You get an opportunity to buy a house at a great price with great schools and a great neighborhood and the job and everything is great. The only thing is there is hydraulic fracking near your local aquifer. You got kids. Do you buy the house? Uh, I think you probably, yes, but I think you would want to do it very much with eyes wide open, and you would want to pay a lot of attention to what the regulatory regime in that state is, and you'd want to pay a lot of attention to really, honestly, who's running the federal government to sort of see if it's going to be an EPA and regulatory bodies that are paying close attention to the operators in that area or kind of turning their face in another direction or turning a blind eye. Ben Geeman, who writes the daily Axios Generate newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks, Ben. My final two, right after this. In the New York Times bestselling book, What It Takes, Lessons in the Pursuit of Excellence, Blackstone's Stephen Schwartzman shares some of his lessons from creating and building one of the world's leading investment firms. Recommended by Jack Welch, Janet Yellen, Ray Dalio, and more. Get the book on Amazon or at readwhatittakes.com. Now it's time for my final two. And first up, the spread of coronavirus is also leading to a spread of misinformation about coronavirus. Everything from fake cures to conspiracies about how it was brewed up in a lab as a politically charged bioweapon. A top World Health Organization official called this trend an infodemic. Another WHO official added that, quote, we need a vaccine against misinformation. Now, obviously, the medium here is click-tastic social media, which is being further exacerbated by the fact that there are still a lot of scientific and medical unknowns about coronavirus. The bottom line, though, is that we will find a cure for this pending pandemic much sooner than we will for people pretending they found a cure for it. And finally, Axios is reporting that a growing number of community leaders are concerned about this year's census, uh, specifically that historically hard-to-count residents will become even harder to count, in part because of new technological hurdles. Specifically, this will be the first ever U.S. census that people will be allowed to complete online, a convenience for many of us, but an added degree of difficulty for those who are either unable to afford connectivity or those living in so-called digital deserts without internet access. Such people can still fill out their census forms the old-fashioned way, but the U.S. Census Bureau this year has less money than it really needs, which will result in fewer on-the-ground workers knocking on doors. In short, internet technology is going to create a bunch more zeros than ones. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Tooth Fairy Day. And we'll be back Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.